We will now have our Bible passage, and this morning you can find it in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. You can find that in the Church Bibles on page 1065. John, chapter 3, and the first 21 verses. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can, any, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Thank you, David. We've just read from some of the most famous words ever written. Um, and at our late Queen's coronation, Elizabeth II was presented with a Bible in Westminster Abbey uh, with these words. We present you with this book 
the most valuable thing that the world affords. Here is wisdom, here is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. She was holding a precious crown adorned with 2,901 precious stones, sitting on a throne in a 1,000-year-old vaulted abbey. And yet God's word was recognized as the most valuable thing that the world affords. The Bible reveals to me the Son who saves me. And it's my privilege to speak on that theme this morning. The Son of God who saves me. It was difficult to choose a passage because almost really the whole Bible speaks and points towards the Son who saves me. We're in a series, though, of three. We looked last week at the God, the Father who loves me. Today, the Son who saves me. Next week, the Spirit who sends me. What a mystery it is that there is one God who exists in a community of three distinct persons, persons who are all involved in our salvation. The most famous verse in the whole Bible was uh, read to us in several languages. I'd like to go through the passage um, to give that verse context. So if you'd have this uh, passage open, uh, John chapter 3. In fact, John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 are meant to be read together. Uh, In chapter 3, God meets, uh, Jesus meets a moral insider. In chapter 4, he meets an immoral outsider. In in chapter 3, he meets an older man in the dark. In uh, chapter 4, he meets a younger woman in the middle of the day. And John wants us to consider them both together, actually, to compare and to contrast them. Uh, One is religious, one is not religious. But as different as the insider and outsider are, what they both have in common is they're both lost. They both need saving. They both need new life. There's a religious way to be lost and there's an irreligious way to be lost. There's a moral and good way to be lost and there's a, a bad way to be lost, but lost is lost. So I want us to divide our time into three, and I I want us to look at who Nicodemus is, what Nicodemus needs, and how he can get it. So verses one to two, who Nicodemus is, John tells us, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So Nicodemus is learned. He is a teacher. He is a scripture scholar. He is a member of the Jewish ruling council, an assembly of Hebrew high court judges, really. You couldn't meet anyone more upstanding than Nicodemus. John's point is that he's not emotionally broken at all, and yet this is the kind of person that Jesus says, you must be born again. We'll come to that in a minute. Verse 2 tells us that he came at night, John is so, so clever as a writer. He writes his, his, his gospel like a cinematographer. He's really into scene changes and contrasts and flashbacks and flash forwards. His way of telling the story of Jesus is extraordinary. He is like Scorsese before they handed out Oscars. We're told in chapter one that, that Jesus is the light of the world, but his own people did not recognize him. And now Nicodemus comes in the dark to the light of the world. And it was probably a dark and a stormy night because the wind was, was blowing. 
Boris Johnson spoke very movingly, I thought, about the Queen's passing when he said that we have seen the extinguishing of a bright and shining light. But Jesus says, uh, but uh, uh, Jesus is the light of the whole world, the greater light, and yet Nicodemus is in the dark. At this point, he does not receive him. Even though he recognizes that Jesus is a rabbi and a teacher who's come from God, he's no idea that this is actually the Son of Man, the Son of God. We'll come on to that later. Nicodemus, in this encounter, you see that he retracts into his intellectual shell. In, in the words of, of Meatloaf, he sang, Baby, we could talk all night, but this isn't getting us nowhere. And so it was with Nicodemus. He stayed in the dark. Let's have a look at what Nicodemus needs, verses 3 to 12. Jesus tells uh, him immediately what he needs, verse 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the king of God, kingdom of God unless they're born again. We don't hear that phrase, born again Christian, very much these days. It's common to believe that born again people are the more emotionally vulnerable and unstable. You know, these are the kind of people that need a dramatic turnaround in their lives because they're kind of so bad or so weak, they need this kind of seismic change to turn them around. But this story doesn't allow us to hold that view because here is a moral and upright person, a good person. And yet Jesus says to the insider, not the outsider, when he eyeballs him, you must be born again. What does that mean? It means that he needs to start from scratch. It also means that Jesus is really saying that the homeless, the pimps and the prostitutes on the street are in the same condition and position spiritually as this man. They all need to be born again. They all need to start from scratch. Here is the way to more, says Jesus, become nothing. Take off the robes of your own righteousness that can't save you. Only the Son can save you. Sadly, Nicodemus did retract inside his own intellect, verse 4. How? How can someone be born again when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus tells him what he needs next, verses 5 to 8. He needs a bath of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Remember, he's speaking to a scripture scholar. He's evoking the words of Ezekiel 36, where Ezekiel says this about the new covenant and about God. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols and I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. Nicodemus sh should have known this scripture and he should have known that he too needed a bath for his insides, a spirit baptism, an inner washing 
and renewal, where the heart of stone that inclines to rules and religion is taken out, and a heart that inclines to God and his love is, is put in. Jesus fleshes it out in verse 6. Flesh gives birth, to fl- gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Our dead, cold hearts need to be given life by the Holy Spirit. Everybody in the whole world needs to be born again. Without this rebirth of the spirit that theologians call regeneration, we will perish. Verse 8, the wind. You hear it, Nicodemus? It blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone that is born of the spirit. Wind, breath, spirit are all the same word in Hebrew, ruach. We read about the spirit, first of all, in Genesis chapter 1. Ruach hovered over the waters when the world was created. The world was created through the three persons of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that have separate but sometimes overlapping roles. A person is also born again through the activity and work of God the Father who sends the Son, the Son who lives for us and dies for us, and the Holy Spirit who regenerates us, taking out that heart of stone. The Spirit of God is what makes the impossible possible and can turn a man from religion to Christ. You must be born again. You must be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved. Nicodemus also, thirdly, needs to know the Son of Man, verses 9 to 15. How can this be, says Nicodemus? See, Nicodemus knew a lot of things as a scripture scholar, knew the Bible really, really well, knew the Jewish law really, really well. Nicodemus represents the establishment. He says to Jesus right at the start, we know that you're a teacher. But here Jesus says, you know, there's lots of things that you don't know. And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher, but there's some fundamental things that you've got wrong, you and the establishment that you represent. Verse 11, Jesus says, we speak of what we know. We, those who follow me, know what new covenant life is. But you people, the the teachers of the law, the teachers of Israel, you're not accepting this. What were they not accepting? They were not accepting that the covenant they had received was actually for a limited time and a limited place. We call it the old covenant. But a new covenant, a new agreement, a new arrangement brought in by the Son of Man where the Holy Spirit actually comes into believers throughout the whole world, not just in Israel, is what Jesus is talking about. And the one who comes to bring in that covenant is the Son of Man. Nicodemus, as a scripture scholar, should have known about the importance of this new covenant. It's all over the prophets. He should have known about the Son of Man. When Jesus says in verse 13, no one's gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, 
he's referring to a couple of things. He's referring to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, where we read about the Son of Man uh, who comes into the presence of the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. And this, Jesus says about the Son of Man here that he must be lifted up. And Jesus was literally lifted up on a pole, just like a snake was lifted on a pole in the wilderness centuries before. The Israelites in that uh, time in the wilderness had moaned against God and moaned against their leader Moses, and they started to get bitten by venomous snakes. And they asked Moses, take the snakes away. So Moses was instructed to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And when anyone looked at this bronze snake, though they were poisoned, they were healed and they did not perish. Likewise, Jesus is saying here, the Son of Man must be lifted on a pole in order to suck out the, the, the sting of sin from this world. He bore the sting on the cross of sin so that the just punishment for our sin fell on him, not us. And through doing this, he provides the way to be saved. And that is what Nicodemus needs. He needs the new birth. He needs the Holy Spirit bath, and he needs to know the Son of Man and look to the Son of Man for his own sins to be forgiven. Nicodemus is really offered the red pill, if you've seen the film The Matrix, but he retracts inside his intellect and opts instead for the blue pill, to not see the realities, the spiritual realities. He wants to stay in the Matrix because the path to the kingdom is going to cost him more than he's prepared to give at this point. Pan out the camera and cue the subtitle from John chapter 5, verse 40. You refuse to come to me that you might have life. Screen pans in again on Nicodemus standing in that dark and stormy night, confused in the dark. Cue John 3:19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but men preferred darkness to light. What does Nicodemus need to do to come into the light and to be saved and to access these realities of new birth, Holy Spirit baptism, knowing the Son of Man? Have a look with you at the text. Have a look at verses 15, 16, 18, what does Nicodemus need to do? There's a word. Can you see it? Believe. Nicodemus needs to believe. In the Bible, this word believe or the word faith, it really involves a couple of things. It's like a coin with heads and tails. He needs to repent and trust. For, for Nicodemus and all of us, the Christian life starts and goes on through repenting, believing. Repenting and believing for the Christian is like breathing in and out. It starts the life, and it's how the Christian life goes on. What do we mean by repenting in the case of Nicodemus? What does it look like for Nicodemus to repent? 
Well, Nicodemus was a very moral person. And Nicodemus needs to turn. This is what repentance is. It means to turn 360 degrees. He needs to do that. He needs to turn from the view that he can save himself through keeping the law. He needs to turn from that view and he needs to turn to Christ. Because Jesus is really saying to him, Nicodemus, what you've done so far in your life, it actually counts nothing for you spiritually. No one has gone into heaven through their own efforts. Only the Son of Man has lived a life that is worthy in that respect. Repentance also involves a transparency and an honesty before God that it is hard for religious people to have sometimes because religious people often live with this disparity, who I present myself to be and who I actually am on the inside are different things. Who I portray myself to be and who I actually am are different things. I need to bring this, all of this, into the light. I need to come out of the dark and I need to bring it into the presence of God and I need to say, God, I am a sinner. I need saving. Would you save me, Jesus, son of man? Would you rescue me from myself? Have mercy on me. In the case of Nicodemus, I thought that I was okay, but I am not. Deliver me. Rescue me. Bath me in the Holy Spirit. Reveal yourself to me. Help me to know you and follow you in everything. The illustration that Jesus used was where Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So the Son of Man was lifted on the cross, but everyone who believes in him can have eternal life if they look to the Son. But the people, obviously, in the wilderness, they couldn't, there was no method of saving themselves that they could muster up. They needed to look, and so do we all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We see in that most famous verse in the whole Bible that we need to accept God's free gift. We can't earn it. It seems like Nicodemus representing the establishment felt in some way that they could earn it because often religious people find God useful but gospel people find him beautiful. God so loved the world that he gave. You can't earn this new life, you can only receive it as a gift. And for that, you must look to the Son of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, the Father sent the Son to be the savior of the world. Our late queen knew this, did she not? She looked to the sun as her anchor, as she spoke about so often. She trusted him. In a world where it's so hard to trust, let me tell you that you can trust this man, Christ Jesus. Look to him, study him, engage with him. See his power, but see his compassion. See him in this passage, unafraid, to confront the establishment and speak the truth, but see him in the rest of his dealings with poor people with such compassion and mercy and heart for the poor, for the foreigner, for the outsider, for the insider. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is trustworthy because he is the king of kings, 
and the Lord of Lords from whom all in authority derive that authority. If you know Jesus already, look again to him this morning. If you feel sorrowful, look again to him this morning for balm. If you feel sinful, look again to him this morning for forgiveness. If you feel weighed down and overwhelmed, look to him this morning for comfort. If you feel disoriented, look to him. Look to him for the first time this morning. If you're fearful of death, look to him who can give you eternal life. Read a wonderful article in The Guardian that the queen had no fear of death. Can I close with words from the queen that have already been referred to in 2011? She said this, although as humans we are capable of great acts of kindness, history tells us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness and greed. God sent into the world not a philosopher or a general, as important as they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. Yes, indeed. Look to him, all the ends of the earth, for forgiveness, for new life, and for salvation.